Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Hey, if you got your Bibles this morning, uh, I'm going to be doing several scripture readings today. They are listed, uh, 2 Corinthians 6 and 1 Peter 2, Psalms 190, uh, 39. I'm going to be reading several things. I'm doing a series called Ask It, in which we let you ask the questions. And we've had some wonderful questions. This is the last uh, part of the series and uh, the last day of the series. I, I could not get to all of your questions, so what I do is I just put them in a document and I save them for the next time. And actually one question that I used this year came from the last time that we did it. So thank you uh, for all of you that submitted questions. So, all right, no, no softballs this morning. So uh, question number one, what about the different translations of the Bible? Are there ones that you would recommend or some you would not? So I want to just say, first of all, I love this book, okay? I believe there's not been a a, a book ever published that has influenced the world like the Word of God. I think the basis of civil law as we know it comes from the foundation of Scripture. I think when you look at culture, there's been no other book that's influenced culture like this book. When you look at family, you know, relationships, when you look at art and architecture, there's no book that's had a greater influence than the Word of God. When you look at what the Bible says historically, when you look at its prophecies, when you look at what it says about Israel and the future, man, there is, there is no book quite like that. But this book primarily is the story of Jesus, okay? And I want you to know this book has been absolutely transformational in my life. It has the message that came off the pages of this book has, has caused an unbelievable change uh, in my life. Dave Henderson says, and I love this, the Bible is not a self-help guide packed with helpful pointers. It is a door that brings self-absorbed humanity face-to-face with a self-giving God. I believe that this morning. So let me just take a moment because this is a great a great question here. And I want to talk about the translations part of that too. But I want to back up just a moment because before we talk about the translation, because there are many people that don't believe in the Bible, that it's accurate, that it's applicable for today. So I just want to take a moment, maybe just three or four minutes and give you a history of the Bible, kind of how we kind of how we got it. So just give me give, give me just just a moment here. Now, now most Bible scholars agree that the writings of the New Testament were complete within 70 years after Jesus' death. Okay, so they they were not copying or like a stenographer every day in the life of Jesus. So what happened, especially with the gospel writers, after Jesus passed away, they begin to chronicle their memories together, the gospel writers. Then, of course, 
course, Paul and Peter and the others, they begin to write their, their revelations down. So they say within 70 years of the life of Jesus, all of the New Testament that we know about uh, was written. Now, when they wrote it, okay, there were two options when you wrote, I love word processing, I love my Mac, you know, I love files and folders, but you know, that was not what it was back then. So there were two ways when they wrote, one was called papyrus, and it's a paper kind of thing. So it's a, a very early form of paper that they, you know, they made out with uh, the the uh, pulp of the tree. So maybe you can see a little of the texture there. It's a very early form. Uh, so they were writing on, on papyrus or they were writing on parchment. Parchment was a little bit different. It was more of a leather. And they would take a sharp instrument, you know, kind of a quill, and they would kind of etch down into, the, you know, to the leather and kind of break the leather a little bit at the ink. The ink would go, uh, we, the ink would go with that. So now that's how everybody wrote things at that particular time. That's just not the gospel writers or the New Testament writers. If you wrote anything, any kind of document, you chose between papyrus or you chose parchment. Now, there are no original writings of the gospel or the apostles in existence today. All right, so there's no, no originals, but that's true of every historical document, government doc, uh, document, literary, you know, uh, stories, things like that. There are no originals that are written from that period of time. So what developed over time was a system of copyists, or the term that we see in the Bible, scribes copying documents. Okay, so that's what that's what they did. You had, as a profession, scribes or copyists. Sometimes they worked for the government. Sometimes you could hire them, and that's all they did. They would take a document here, and they would copy it, and they would write it. And there was great skill, and I don't have the time to, to tell you, you know, about that. So let's, let's say, you know, that papyrus, that parchment lasted 10, 12 years. They were doing this over the period of time, to keep documents, you know, uh, so they just wouldn't disappear, you know, like, like where boundaries were, property lines, things like that. So you had people who were copying, 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 and that's all, that's, that's just the way it was. Now listen, everything we know about ancient world history came from this system of copyists writing on papyrus, uh, parchment, you know, and, and, and they, over decades, they would just continue to copy. So listen to me, especially if you're kind of a doubter or a skeptic. Everything that we know about ancient world history comes from the same system that the gospel writers, you know, translated and transcribed the scriptures. So if you're a doubter and you're, or a skeptic, then you have to make a choice in this. All right, if you believe in ancient world history and you have no question about ancient world history, then you should have no question about the accuracy and the, uh, 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 of, the, of the New Testament, okay? Now, if you don't want to believe at all, that's fine. If you don't want to believe the Bible, 
But you also go, oh, then I, then I can't believe in ancient world history. That's fine. What you can't do is go, we believe everything about ancient world history, but man, the Bible is tainted. You can't do that because that would be a little intellectually inconsistent there. So we, we got we to choose. Ancient world history was, you know, transcribed in the same way that biblical world history. Now, I got an, another image that I want to show you. When we talk about copies of copies, this is the earliest copy that we have. This is part John chapter 18. It's 96 AD. It's in the Bible Museum. One day I'm going to go there. I'm just one of those nerds that would just love to spend days there. Go back to that image just for a second. So it's the earliest. It's the earliest, and they date it at 96 AD. So it's a copy of a of an original. So what was happening? They were copying, copying, copying. Now here's 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 how you can tell some truthfulness when it comes to is this book real? The number of copies in existence show and give strength to its accuracy. Because they're humans, right? They could make mistakes. Anybody uh, scratched out, used, uh, you know, the whiteout, remember those, that era? Well, it happened with copyists so, and scribes, so you can tell its biblical accuracy by the more copies that we have. It would show strength. Now, the number of copies that we have of the Greek New Testament is 5,600 copies, okay? That is a substantial amount of different copies that we have over the particular years, okay? The number of copies of Plato's writings is seven, all right? The number of copies of Aristotle's writings are five, okay? So I want you to look at the disparity of the numbers. So listen to me, listen to me. Our, our colleges and in society, we have no problem referring back to Plato or Aristotle, even though the number of copies is very minimum. Okay, so again, to the doubter or the skeptic, you have to make a choice here, okay? Uh, if you dismiss the New Testament as reliable, then you also have to dismiss as well the writings of Plato and Aristotle and Homer and all of that because they are very few, okay? Or, you know, on the other hand, if you acknowledge the writings of Plato, Aristotle, and Homer, then you've got to also acknowledge the New Testament writing because it's the same system. But what you can't do is accept the writings of, of like Aristotle and Plato but say that the New Testament system would be tainted. You can't do that because that would be a little intellectually inconsistent, okay? Now, translating the Bible into English. So they had all of this stuff. Old Testament was written in Hebrew. New Testament was written in, in Greek. And translating is simply transferring the written content from one language to the other. So somewhere around the early 12, 1300s, everything is in Greek, all right? It's hard to read. I mean, nobody really in England is speaking that language. So they started making attempts in the 1300 to bring this from Greek to English. And it cost John Wycliffe his life, if you want to read the story. So they started, started trying to transcribe this so into English. The best 
known early translation of the scripture into English is the King James Version. So finally at 1611, King James put the money behind it, the weight of the British government, and said we're going to do an official uh, translation into English. It's got the blessings of the church. We're going to go from Greek into English. So if you carry the King James Version, that is the, you know, the translation, you know, from, from 1611. Now, what about modern day translations? Okay. The English language changed over the course of times. Even the King James Version kind of revised itself five different times over the years because words, syntax, sentence structure, phrases, they all change over a period of time. So they felt like, you know, especially kind of back in the 50s and 60s, that it was time to take, you know, the, the English language and modernize it. So what they did was they went back to the original Greek text, okay, and they translated it into a modern English kind of that we all, that we all understand. So a couple of things, things to, to remember on, on translations. Direct translations are word-for-word -word translations when possible, okay? So, for instance, if you look, if you're translating, there are 10 words in Greek. The translator tried his best to use 10 words in modern English. It's a direct translation. Doesn't always work out. Not every language, if you speak multiple languages, you know not every, there's not a direct, you know, word-for-word -word, you know, uh, translation every time, but they tried their best. Examples of modern-day translations would be the English Standard Version, the New King James, the New International Version, the New American Standard. So they went back to the Greek and they just put it into modern-day English. So, so one way when they translate is a direct translation. The other is the paraphrase, which is this, capturing the main thought of the passage and rephrasing or retelling the sentence. So instead of word-by-word -word translation, now they read like an entire verse or verses, and they try to maybe retell or rephrase the entire thought about that. Okay, so it's a little different than the direct translation. Examples of modern-day uh, modern phrases are, I mean, paraphrases are the Living Bible, the New Living Translation, Amplified Bible, and probably the best known is the message. So let me give you some examples from King James on, and you can see the progression of the language in the need for translation. So here is 2 Corinthians. This is one of my favorite ones. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 in the King James, written in 1611. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. You are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, be ye also enlarged. Question, what are we reading here? Is this a medical diagnosis, you know, enlarged heart, straightened bowels? I mean, what are we reading? Okay, but I want you to see the need for the modern day translation, because I said over the period of times, words change, syntax changes, sentence structure changes, phrases changes, okay? So here is the New International Version, the same passage, okay? 
We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and have opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affections from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts. Got it? Brings a little clarity to that particular passage, okay? Now let's look at the message which is the paraphrase or kind of the retelling, all right? It's more words, you know, more adjectives, adverbs. So here we go. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I am speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives, live openly and expansively. Okay, so it's not a direct translation. So let me just say this to you. Here's the way I approach it. I, with my Bible reading, I stay with direct translation. Okay, that's just me, all right? I go with the NIV. I've been reading it for a while. They make modifications from time to time. But I also use paraphrases from time to time. The amplified, the, the, the message, sometimes it just helps me to kind of open that passage up. So my recommendation to you is to find a direct translation because it is actually the closest that you can get to the original intent of the author. And if you want to use paraphrase, that's fine. But listen, if you won't read anything but a paraphrase, then read the paraphrase. I, I want you getting in God's words. So I just want to mention that to you. Now let me say something too to the believers to know that God created this and not read this, man, we, we got to change that. We're raising up the most biblically illiterate, you know, uh, generation ever. But we've got more of God's word, you know, from our phones to our, you know, to, to our hands than we've ever had before. This book is not meant to be an app on your phone or to sit on your coffee table and gather dust. He gave this book to give life and instruction. And I want to say to the believer, let's read it. Let's read it. 2 Corinthians says we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place. So it's just reminding, he says there's a benefit, it's reliable, and it's like a light shining in your, in your heart. So if you're not a person of the word, man, let me encourage you to read it. If you're a skeptic, or you're an unbeliever, not sure, let me just say to you, there's much more about the accuracy of the scriptures that I did not, you know, during the transcription time that I did not have a chance to go through. I wanted to, but just didn't have the time. But I want you to know something. This is God's way of communicating with you. All the resources, all the effort, all the people that even gave their life for this particular book is to remind you that as this word world strayed from sin, God had a plan and a purpose for your redemption and your salvation, and he's got a plan for your life. So if you're not, you never read, maybe you're a doubter, you're a skeptic, then do me a favor, okay? I want you to read three books. I want you to read the Gospel of Mark. I want you to read the book of Ephesians, and I want you to read the book of James, if you say, I don't really believe in the accuracy of Scripture, then I say, then read it as your fiction reading, right? 
then read it like that. But I just say, read it and see what you learn about that. Okay? All right. So question, that was question number one. Question number two. I have multiple coworkers that are living different lifestyles than mine. How do I interact with them without seeming like I am condoning their lifestyle? Really good practical question here. So this question is specific to the workplace. The workplace is a little different, so I'm going to try to shape it this way as well because at the workplace, we have a job to do, and that is our primary responsibility, and social relationships aren't necessarily, you know, primary part of our, you know, our life on the job, but I think it's, I think it's good. So let me answer the question this way. First of all, let's see the value in, that God has in each person first. Let's don't look at the difference that we have or the lifestyle difference. Let's look at God's value. Let's be reminded of the value of the individual first. I gave this to you a couple weeks ago. You are created in God's image. That individual, regardless of their lifestyle, is, re- is created in God's image. That individual has a unique design. God made them and designed them unique. They have a created purpose for their, for their life and that God provides a way for a relationship with them through Jesus. So I just want you to catch that First, sometimes we see the difference and the way we view them is is through the lens of the differences. But I say, no, let's be reminded of the value of that individual as well. Now, let me say, look, now, 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 not everybody follows God's plan. We know that. People make decisions on their own. You know, they're, they're living different ways. But... We don't approach these relationships hesitantly. We dive into the relationship, okay? Now, let let me me give you an illustration here that that maybe I I can help answer this question a little more full. So when I was in Bible college, it's the only time I've ever worked a secular job, okay? And I worked for a company like Best Buy that sold TVs and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I have... I have this manager, and he's a rotating manager. And maybe every two, three weeks, he did different stores. And so he was my, he was my manager. He was a great guy, you know, probably mid-30s, something like that. You know, we got along. You know, we got along well. And, um, you know, he was, he's one that was not afraid to have God talks, Okay, some people freak out when the when the you know the the theme starts to change the conversation to religion. This was not him. He was kind of a quasi Catholic, for lack of a better term. You know, but but there were time there were times he would just start the conversation. He knew I was a minister, knew I was in Bible college. So there were times that that he would start the con- uh, conversation, and he wasn't uncomfortable with that. And it just I mean we had some great kind of. God talks. So let's on a Saturday, and we're at work, and he said, hey, I got a deal for you. I'll go to church with you if you go to lunch with me, and I'm buying lunch. I said, deal. I mean, what, what, are, what are we thinking about here? <clears throat> so I said, deal. So he said, okay, well, I'll swing by. I'll pick you up in the morning. So sure, he comes by. 
He comes by, picks me up. We go to church. And let me just say, there are two ways that you can ensure that revival will break out in your church. Number one is to fast and pray. The other is to take a visitor, right? That ever happened to you? So here's my, I'm sitting in church, and let me tell you, it is rocking and rolling that morning. It is rocking and rolling. Here's my Catholic, quasi-Catholic friend, you know, kind of raised there. I mean, I'm just kind of, you know, how you worship with one eye and you watch your neighbor with the other. You know how you do. So I'm watching him. But, I mean, he's clapping his hands. He's smiling, you know. I mean, uh, after church, you know, we get in the car and he said, you know what? I've never been to anything like that, but that was fun, you know. That was fun. I said, well, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. So he said, where do you want to go to lunch? I said, it's up to you. You're paying, right? The person that pays. So he said, do you like chicken wings? I said, I love chicken wings. He said, do you want the best chicken wings in Lakeland? I said, yes, I do. He said, let's go. So we take off. And in about four minutes, we turn into the parking lot of Hooters. I mean, I start sweating. I'm, I say, hey, hey, listen, listen, I, I, I don't think I can, I don't think I can go here. I'm, I'm a minister. I'm, I'm a college Bible college student. We have to sign a code of ethics. You know, I, I, I'm just not sure. He said, well, wait a minute. You promised. You said you'd go to lunch with me if I went to church with you and I went to church with you. And he said, also, you said you wanted the best chicken wings in Lakeland, and this is the best chicken wings. I'm like, oh, man, I did say that. Don't ever agree to the best chicken wings. Let me just tell you that. So I, I'm like, I, I can't believe this as I'm getting out of the car. I'm just like, I am, I am, I just, I'm like, okay, well, today's the day Jesus is coming back. That's for sure. No man knows the day or the hour, but I promise you in 30 minutes he's going to be here. Yeah. All the tribulation I'm going to get to watch firsthand. Yeah. So I entered the tabernacle of sin in chicken wings. I, I'm just like, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here, you know. It's hard to order when your head is down and your eyes are closed, you know. Um, so we get our food, and, and like, he's really at ease. He's at home. This is his home. This is, he knows people. I mean, he's having a great time. Games are on. I'm profusely sweating. You know, he's Catholic. I'm doing this. I don't even know what that means. I'm just, you know. But... But after the meal, he starts, he starts this talk about his, he'd gone through a divorce, you know, and, and the impact that it had on him. And, and look, he was ready to have one of those talks. I was ready to eat and get out of there, let me just say. But I, after a moment, I realized that this was a moment that I had not planned for in a place that I had not planned for. But... Whatever's going on, I need to push that aside because for whatever weird reason, this is a God moment here. So I just kind of, you know, just started focusing on him and 
talked about his divorce and uh, he was moving up in the company. He's a manager, but really, man, there was no, you know, he just, he wasn't happy. You always think that when you get to a certain level on your job and money that it brings some kind of fulfillment. And he's just telling me that. And, and we had one of the best God conversations that we ever had. Now, let me just say, every time we have a God or gospel conversation, it is our goal to get to the end zone, okay, of salvation. Wouldn't that have been a great story? Lead him to Christ in the tabernacle of sin and chicken wings. Wouldn't that have been great? But sometimes we need to be satisfied with the first down. And I felt like in that conversation, we had two first downs there. I mean, we really, we really had a great conversation. So I want to say to you back to the question, okay? Anytime you do something like that, there are always gray areas that happen that I cannot tell you the rule or the law because the applications of those are so different, okay? Just remember Jesus made friends with those who had religious differences and had lifestyle differences as well. Jesus made friends with them. But now remember, he was criticized for those relationships and going in those locations as well. So I'm just saying to you, there are always gray areas, but I want to remind you of this. When you help people out of the mud... It is hard not to get mud on you as well, okay? It's hard not to get mud on you as well. The question asked, is my relationship or friendship with them condoning? I want to say condoning means you agree with the lifestyle. That's condoning. Being friendly with someone is not condoning the lifestyle, okay? There's a balance. There's a difference. So there's always going to be this tension that exists between wanting to be salt and light and wanting to be a witness as well. There's always going to be, and being, being involved in people's lives, there's always going to be this, this tension, okay? We don't want to be the ethical chameleon where we just blend into every background regardless, you know, of where you go or what you do. So I want to say there's always going to be this imperfect middle ground, okay, that you're just going to have to kind of use God's wisdom and judgment of being a be, living a good life and being a witness not just someone that hands a track but when you're involved in relationships with people sometimes it's a little gray and it's a little messy first peter mentions this he says look, look at this he said live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. So he said, live good lives amongst the pagans. Even if they accuse you of wrong, okay, they'll see your good deeds. So he's going, hey, this is an imperfect relationship here. It's not going to be just perfect. There's going to be some back and forth. But live a good life so that they can see God working, working in your heart. So that's the answer to my question. Live stream, if you'll uh, erase my Hooters and allergy for the uh, video this week, I'd appreciate that. So uh, I've never shared that publicly because I'll never hear the end of it. Let me just say that. I'll never hear the end. All right. Last question. Last question. What is the role of prayer when it might clash 
with the sovereignty of God? Why pray passages uh, like, say to this mountain, or whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, when certain things may already be decided in God's plan? Great question. I'm born in the midst of an intense spiritual battle. I had no choice. I'm born in this conflict, you know, that starts day one of when I take my, you know, take my first breath. But in this battle, God does not leave me powerless or weaponless. One thing he's given me is prayer, okay? to help me in this intense spiritual battle. So the question, it's a great question, is like, man, if, if God's will's kind of already fixed and decided, what is really the purpose and function of prayer? Is there really any benefit to prayer if God's plan is already, is already there? So I think it's a really good kind of theological question. So let me take a moment, let me define the two, prayer and maybe the sovereign sovereignty of God. So what is prayer? You, you know this, and I'm going to give it to you quickly. Prayer is talking to and listening to God through worship, <clears throat> thanksgiving, confession, and intercession, uh, confession, intercession, and petition, okay? Prayer aligns us with the will of God and the heart of Jesus, so it's setting me on the course that God has created for me, but it's also transforming me as I pray to be like the Lord as well. Prayer changes us and our world. So while I'm praying, man, I, I'm becoming more like Christ, but my prayer can also has the, the possibility to change the world as, as well. Prayer, you know that. What's God's sovereign will? Okay, what's God's sovereign will or his plan? God's plan and purpose for our lives to bring glory to God and Christ-likeness to us. Okay, so that's, that's God's ultimate plan that we live a life that brings glory to God, but in the process brings Christ-likeness to us. Look at these passages, and you could probably quote these, Jeremiah 29. I know the plans... I have for you. At the very beginning, God has a destiny. God has a plan. It's unique. It's different for every individual. Psalms 139. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was in that secret place, when I was woven together into the depths of the earth. Here's the part that I want you to see. Your eyes saw my unformed body, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So very early, there's a plan. There's a plan, you know, for your particular life. Now, let me just say, God's will and plan, unfortunately, doesn't always happen in the world and in our lives. He gives us options. He gives us moral freedom so we don't always see God's plan and purpose lived out before us. And of course, we don't always understand the purpose of God's plan, especially when we're walking through difficult times because our plan 
Our plan always involves our happiness and success and comfort, and we're always rolling in money, right? Is that our, is that our plan? But God's plan is not necessarily the opposite of that, but there's some other things that are working in God's plan as well, and that is that our lives bring glory to God and, and, and that we're developing Christ-likeness as well. So when we look at God's sovereign will versus prayer and kind of how they blend together, there's a couple of thoughts out there, okay? One is why pray? Just let God's will happen. I mean, really? He's already got this plan. He's already got this plan. He's already designed it. So why don't I just sit back and let God's plan unfold? That's one way of thinking. Epedicus, an, an early philosopher, he taught that we should not ask that events happen as we want. We should instead want them to happen as they occur. A wise divine God governs all things, so what seem to be trouble are really parts of God's plan. So he's just saying, hey, sit back and just, if you're a believer, allow God's plan to unfold. And if there's trouble that occurs in your life, then just go, you know, so be it. So he's just saying, you know, when you're walking through seasons that you don't understand and you have no comprehension for, when the mountains that you pray are not moving and the miracles have not occurred and the sickness is still around, he's saying just accept that is God's plan, okay? That's one way of thinking when it comes to, you know, God's sovereign will, you know, over our life, all right? The other thought in that as well is can things on earth be changed by praying? Am I wasting my time? Can something really happen, you know, when I pray and I say in, in this answer, yes. I think there are a lot of things that can be impacted and affected by prayer. We see it laid out in the scripture. So going back to the thought of Epedicus, you just kind of sit back. You shouldn't ask. You should just accept and, and, and pray and give thanks for God's unfolding plan in your life. But we see something different, like, like in uh, the posture of Jesus, prayer was taught and practiced by Jesus, okay? And he said in Luke 11, when you pray, pray like this. He was not a teacher of just sitting back and allowing God's will to occur, but he said to pray, and he gave us about eight different things to pray for, one of which was God's will for our particular life. So why pray? What can be changed? Why pray? To respond to the attacks of the enemy. There's a, there's a warring spiritual entity about, that's, that's trying to wreak havoc upon our lives and God's plan and purpose in our life. Man, there, there's some benefit to, to praying. Why pray? To change my carnal heart. 
Man, when I've got issues in my own life, man, I can pray and that God can change in my own life wisdom and direction for my life. I don't know what to do. I don't know what the next, you know, what, where to go next. We pray for wisdom and direction uh, uh, for God, from God in our life. Blessings over my, my family. So when there are family concerns, we're praying. We're not just sitting back. Man, we're actively praying. And then there's troubling circumstances. Am I just to sit idly by when there are things that burden and concern my heart? No, I can reach out in prayer. So, yeah, I believe, I believe we should pray. I believe there's a lot of things that can be impacted by prayer. So, when I, when I don't get an answer to a prayer, should I assume that it is part of God's sovereign plan for my life? So, when I don't see any movement... Should I assume this is one of those unmovable stones in my life that I should just accept? And I say, not necessarily. Not necessarily, okay? It could be a couple of things. Number one, it's not God's time. God has a strange sense of timing. Can I say that? I don't know about you, but I feel like he's always on the slow side. Is that just me or is that anybody else? Okay? So sometimes it's an issue of timing. That we just haven't seen the fullness of that time. And I don't understand. I never preached a message on the timing of God. I don't know it. I endure it like everybody else. So it could be an issue of timing. It could be a lack of faith could be you know we just sometimes we just go through the motions we're just praying you know look mark chapter 13 he did not do any miracles there because of their lack of faith so sometimes there's a faith component as well so when i'm talking about faith i'm not talking about just the acknowledgement that jesus is lord but an active faith that is exercised toward a certain situation okay so it could be you know it could be that it could be that there hasn't been enough intense prayer that has been offered yet. Luke 18, he gives the, the parable of the widow that goes back to the judge. You know, multiple times he goes back to the judge. But he sets this parable off, says, I'm telling a parable that people should pray and not give up. So sometimes maybe there hasn't been enough intense prayer or there's been minimal prayer. James says you, you have not because you, ha you don't have because you haven't asked. All right? You, I, I've rephrased that wrong. <laughs> you, you don't have because you haven't asked. All right? That's James. So sometimes, sometimes maybe we just haven't even approached it like that. So is it always something that we just need to go, I'm going to put it in the hands of the Lord? Not necessarily. Okay? We need to lean into prayer. There are times, though, that we need to let go and surrender and trust God's plan. So we pray. We pray and we believe, okay? But there are just sometimes we may be up against some part of God's plan that I don't have any understanding over. Now, usually, when we get to that point, you know, we start... God doesn't care. I must have done something wrong. God must not exist. You know, well, why would God, 
you know, allow this hardship. You know, we kind of, but I'm just telling you, there's a point in time that we do need to release things into God's plan, okay, that'll bring glory to God and bring Christ-likeness to me. Jesus had this same theological question when he prayed at Gethsemane, is it possible, may this cup be taken from me? Is it possible, Lord, for you to remove this? Yet not as I will, but as you will. Is it possible? And God said no. No. There are times that we walk through certain aspects of God's plan that we don't understand. That we need to release and let God have his way. Okay? To bring glory to God and to bring Christ-likeness to ourselves. Paul went through the same thing. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 12. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in my weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. He used the term initially pleaded, pleaded, which means on multiple occasions with great emotion, he asked God to remove this and God said no. God said no. Listen to me. So when we walk through seasons like that, Instead of just praying prayers of deliverance, let's ask another question first. What do you want me to learn in this situation? Paul said, I pleaded three times, but here is what I heard, that my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to walk through this with you. And he said, now that I've learned that, bring it on. Persecution, hardship, it doesn't matter to me anymore because I've learned this lesson that in my weaknesses, he is strong. So instead of praying all the prayers of deliverance, let's ask, let's add another prayer. Let's say, God, what do you want me to learn? What are you trying to teach me? Okay. Now, when you feel like you got the answer, then go, hey, Lord, I've learned. So can we move this on now? Been a good student. Listen to me. Sometimes in worship team, you can come. Sometimes our heart is being perfected and our spirit is being matured while we are walking through a season that we don't understand. Wow. <clears throat> Sometimes our heart is being perfected. Our spirit is being matured while we walk through a season that we don't understand. I told you, God's plan ultimately is to live a life for him that brings glory to God in Christ-likeness to us. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you, but rejoice in so much as you are participating in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory 
is revealed. So the answer to the question about prayer and God's sovereignty is something that we don't always know. We don't always know, okay? When we walk through a time that we don't understand and it seems like the heavens have not responded, okay, then I lean on what I know about God, okay? Listen to me. So I'm walking through a season that I don't understand. I've prayed, you know, then I just lean on what I know about God, that he's good. He is for me and not against me. He's watching over me like a father. Whatever I'm going through, he hasn't turned his back on me. He's got my hand. And I'm learning and teaching and growing and being perfected and and, and being matured into Christ-likeness. People are watching my life can bring glory to God, plant seeds for other through the adversity sometimes that I walk through. He's for me and he's not against me. The sufferings of this present time, he said, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. That's his promise. Now I see through a dark glass, but one day I'll understand and see him face to face. Okay? Listen to me. So if you're walking through one of those unmovable moments, that's okay because God's got you. God's got you. God's got you. You're walking through a season that you don't understand. God's hand is upon you. Now, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know how to tell you, you know, when to accept and when to pray, you know. But here's here's... Here's what I know, okay? I'm going to lean into prayer. I'm going to lean into the delivering power of God, okay? I'm going to keep praying. Listen to me. If you hear that I'm sick, I don't want you going, well, that could be God's plan for his. Absolutely not. You better be up here praying. Listen, we don't wrestle with those kind of things. We, we lean into prayer. And we lean into faith. And we believe that He's a God of miracles. He's a God of transformation. He's a God that can touch our lives. He can heal our bodies. We lean into that. That's where we live. So we pray and believe. And in a moment, we're fixing to have a prayer meeting on Sunday morning. Okay? All things work together for the good of them who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Say unto this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea and it shall be done. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. If there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Elijah prayed and he was a a regular man and the heavens dried up. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of 
prayer and request. Be alert and always keep praying for God's people. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, give, give with thanksgiving, present your request unto God. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and His ears are attentive to our prayers. We don't have to answer all of these great theological things, but man, we can pray and believe. And that's our posture. We pray and we believe. If there's something else that happens later on, that's fine. Because God's got it. You believe that? God's got it. You're walking through a hard time, God's got it. He's got you. He knows tears, He knows fears, you know, every part of that. How many of you got a prayer need out there this morning? Raise your hand. You got a prayer need. You got a prayer need. We're going to pray this morning. We're going to pray. If you want to come down front, you're more than welcome to do that. If you want to bring that to the Lord, come and stand down here at the front if you want to do that. We're going to pray this morning. All right, so I want you to get in prayer meeting mode. Would you do that? Ready? We're going to, we're going to start praying here. Yeah, come on. Come on down to the front. You got a prayer need, prayer burden. You want to stand in for someone? Hey, we're praying and believing this morning. We're praying and believing this morning. All right? All right, you ready? Ready? Let's pray. So, Lord, we come before you this morning, and we thank you today that you did not leave us weaponless in this spiritual warfare, this spiritual battle, but you gave us the weapon of prayer. And, Lord, we come this morning humbly. Lord, we call out to you today. Lord, we stand not in our own authority, but we stand in the name of Jesus, Lord. The authority of Jesus, Lord. We come humbly this morning and we pray and we call these needs out to you today. God, we pray. We pray today for everyone here that's got a burden on their heart. Lord, you say it's your word. Say to this mountain, be thou removed. And Lord, we're going to speak to mountains today. Lord, impossibilities today. God, we're asking you, Lord, to, to meet the need, hear the request, Lord, of our people. So right now, Lord, we pray for sickness and disease. Lord, we pray those that have sick bodies. Lord, they need a miracle in their life. If that's you, man, I want you to pray. Ask God's touch upon you today. Lord, we pray. We pray, God, that you would do a miracle, Lord, that you would get the glory. Lord, you tell us to pray. Lord, you, you heal those today. God, we pray over that today. We ask you, every sickness, every disease, Lord, we pray every infirmity today. Come on. Come on, let's pray. Call out to the Lord today. God, we pray, and we pray in faith this morning. Lord, we come with an active faith this morning. Oh, God, we pray. We pray today, Lord. Every sickness, every disease, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for those with fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety this morning, Lord. We pray, God, that you'll touch them. Lord, that they'll feel your peace today. Lord, they'll feel the peace of God. Let it rest upon them today. Let them feel the power of Jesus, Lord, in their heart today. Every fear, Lord, all anxiety, Lord, we pray. They'll feel that touch of Jesus today. God, we pray for those that need wisdom. They're not sure what to do. 
Lord, they're looking for your direction today. They're looking for your guidance today. God, we pray. We pray for wisdom this morning. We pray for direction. We pray that your plan would unfold. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray. I pray for everyone that's got a financial need, financial burden. They don't know, you don't know which way to look, Lord, we pray. You're the God of resource. Lord, you're the God of miracles here. God, we pray. Everyone that's got a, for, for whatever reason, they're walking with a financial burden. God, we pray. You tell us to, to pray that you'll give us daily bread. We do that this morning, Lord. We pray every financial need, every employment need. We pray over that today. God, we pray, reveal your hand. Lord, I pray for everyone that's got someone that's lost. They're away from God. They're a prodigal. God, we call them in. We call them home this morning. Lord, it's not your will that any should perish, but that all should come to knowledge of repentance. God, we pray and we call that harvest in today. Call that harvest in today. God, we pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal Jesus in an unusual way. Oh, God, we pray today. We pray other burdens, other concerns in this congregation. God, we pray, Lord, that you'll hear and that you'll answer prayer. Your word says, cast your care on me, for we care for you. He cares for you. Lord, we do that this morning. We do that this morning. We do that this morning. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. You take our Jesus. When remove our you take our weak to be our strength, oh God. And you take our pocket, and you unlock every chain. To give your promise over and over, God. Hey, you take our sickness and remove our disease. You take our weakness. To be the strength that we need, you take our bondage, and you unlock every chain to keep your promise. Come on, sing it this morning. Come on, sing it. Take our sickness, and you take our sickness, and remove our disease. You take our weakness to be the strength of God. Take our bondage and you unlock every chain to keep your promise. So now I want us to praise him. Listen to me. Because my praise is not dependent on an answered prayer. Now, when I get the answered prayer, I'm going to praise and more. Okay? But like right now, I'm just going to stand and magnify him. I'm going to thank him for his goodness. I'm going to praise him right in the midst of the storm, right in the midst of the battle. Can we do that all across this building? Would you begin to praise him? Would you praise him this morning? Would you praise him this morning? Come on, let's fill this building with worship this morning. From the depths of your heart, would you just praise him? Would you begin to magnify him today? Would you worship him today? In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the valley, we worship you this morning. We worship you this morning. Come on, let's praise him. Come on. I 
song on my heart this morning. A song in the valley. A song in the valley. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, come on, another moment. Praise Him in the valley today. Praise Him in the fire. Praise Him in the fire. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.